Hey, and welcome to the Doc Buddy Journal. This is your host, Eric Sunset. We're recording this one live from the Doc Buddy Studios today, Thursday, April 27th, 2023. There may be a little bit of construction noise in the background. They are doing some pretty, uh, they're on some pretty heavy equipment uh, right outside our studio walls. So if you hear that, so sorry. Not a whole lot that I can do about that, but glad you're here anyway. And while you're here, Make sure that you're subscribed to the Doc Buddy Journal on either Apple Pods or Spotify so that you always know when we're publishing new episodes. Uh, we'd love to have you here and appreciate you listening. One final note of housekeeping that we are in one of the last two days that you can use the discount code DOCBUDDY to save 200 bucks off of your new registration for the ASCA annual conference and exhibit hall event. That's happening in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. So to take advantage of that discount code, head over to ASCAssociation.org. Click their banner to attend the annual conference, and then you'll be able to use code DOCBUDDY at checkout to get your 200 bucks off. We need to be sure we thank our friends over at ASCA for that generous offer. And then there's a recent podcast that features the ASCA CEO, Bill Prentice. We talked about the event, talked about the ASC landscape. All the great education that you can get by attending the Ask Annual event. Of course, Doc Buddy will be there too. We'll be at booth 807, and we hope that you stop by. So for today, um, let's jump right into it. Hims was last week. Hims is without a doubt the largest health IT show in the world. The event was in Chicago. Unfortunately, wasn't able to make it this time. So I've been living kind of vicariously through. Uh, all of the headlines and all the social media around hymns looked like a great time as always. And I think I'm batting uh, about 700 on the last decade of hymns shows. So it's something that I usually go to, um, but didn't get a chance to this time around. It just didn't line up with schedules. Uh, being based in Miami and then having to head to Chicago for the, the full week of festivities. But there was a ton of news uh, that came out of this hymns, and I'm sure you've seen some of it. Uh, but I really wanted to break down some of the headlines that caught my eye and give you our take on it through the lens of provider workflow, eliminating burnout, and just being sure that healthcare technology is on the right track. And unless you've been living under a rock, you probably would have seen just an onslaught of headlines about AI, AI in healthcare, chat GPT in healthcare. So if you are living under that rock and you missed it, I think the biggest piece of news to come out of HIMSS, at least from my perspective, is that both Epic and eClinical Works, these are both electronic health record vendors, Epic playing more on the acute care side, that they do have uh, software and solutions for office-based practices. And eClinical Works, obviously a major player in the ambulatory space or that office-based space. They announced separately, but they did both announce that they are integrating chat GPT into their softwares. And we have talked at length about uh, just what this means for providers, for their patients. And while it's exciting and we like to see adoption of new technology, we've got to be sure that we aren't getting out in front over our skis. So there's a lot of promises being made. And this isn't a pointed at Epic or Clinical Works, but just many promises being made in general by the industry about what something like ChatGPT, other generative AI products, or AI 
in air quotes, and that is a hill I will die on. AI is something of a misnomer because these tools don't actually know anything. They're great at predicting things, but they don't actually know anything. But there's many promises being made around how this will drive efficiency for providers. Uh, but I'm not so sure this is the panacea that it's being made out to be. Uh, have you ever used ChatGPT, dear listener? Go ahead, jump into it, go to openai.com, and there's no affiliation there. Um, there isn't any referral code that I'm gonna give you, but go check out ChatGPT if you haven't already on OpenAI and start asking it to, uh, to generate some prompts for you. Have it generate something, and then maybe ask it something that's a little bit uh, divisive or polarizing. And obviously in the US, politics is a very divided and very polarized sphere. Uh, so if you are asking it a question that aligns with what the creator of ChatGPT, which is OpenAI, feels is reasonable to respond to, it will. Then ask it the opposite. Ask it about potential, uh, potential presidential candidates and see what it says. So I'm, I'm bringing that into the discussion not to rile anybody up or ruffle any feathers, but one of the things you have to be careful with putting a product either like ChatGPT itself or another generative uh, large language model into your software, is it unbiased? Is it going to give you just the facts, Jack? Or is there going to be some sort of skew uh, that's built into it? And I think that the voices of reason in the industry are calling for caution and they're doing the right thing by, by doing so. We're charging ahead with the adoption of new technology into health IT products that have existed for a long time, and that's good. But the question in the back of my mind, both as somebody that works in health IT and as a patient and as a consumer of healthcare, my family is a consumer of healthcare as well, obviously we all are, who is going to be monitoring the outputs? Who's gonna be making sure that these generative text platforms are doing the right thing? And when we bring this back to that, that lens of efficiency, the last thing a provider needs is to have, use a tool that makes them faster, but then slows them down on the back end because they now have to be sure that the generated text or whatever the, the AI software says is correct. And you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I sometimes play one on TV. I cannot imagine the liability and compliance exposure that as a healthcare organization using a third-party product like this in your electronic health record software opens up for you. Uh, there's certain drugs on the market that if you are one of the unfortunate few where your, your genome just doesn't jive with a particular drug, there can be some horrifying outcomes. And it's a worst case scenario, obviously. It's rare. You don't see it happen often, but it does happen. So this, uh, this liability exposure that you're opening up, you're going to spend twice as much time making sure that it's right. I would imagine, or that's what your legal team and your insurance carrier will hope that you're doing, but you may be faster generating data for an electronic health record, but I think you're going to be bogged down uh, ensuring that it is correct and actual. So we've talked a lot about AI in healthcare in the last couple of weeks of the show. So we'll, we'll pivot a little bit. I think we're going to be talking about it quite a bit more, both as we see advances in the actual tech, 
And as we look at adoption and seeing what it actually does for provider workflows, that's, that's good. Again, um, I'm not the old man yelling at the sky or yelling at the cloud saying, don't do that. That's not the right thing. I think it probably is the right thing, but it needs oversight. You know, let's not jump the shark with it. Another panel that Hims hosted was around cybersecurity. I'm going to poke a little fun at this. It's, t it's meant to be tongue in cheek because it's true. But the headline was cybersecurity is now an imperative. And I'll read just a quick excerpt from the, uh, the discussion description to drive home how important cybersecurity has become. Sonny Sapra, SVP and Chief Information Officer at Samaritan Health Services said that CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers, should have a seat at the executive table. Quote, anything we do has to have the CISO at the table because everything you do has to have a security assessment. Man, I hope so. I sure hope so. Uh, medical records that get uh, compromised or are used as blackmail for health systems, those are worth a lot of money. And you got to hope that somebody is paying attention and steering the ship in a security sense. But cybersecurity is now an imperative. And I hope it's been an imperative for the last 25 or 30 years as we've seen the Internet really uh, creep into all aspects of our life. Obviously, the Internet at its core is just other people's computers. Or if we're talking about the cloud, the cloud is just other people's computers, whether they're on site or off site. And this gives you tremendous capability to share information, as we all know, but it also opens up avenues for bad actors to access your information where they shouldn't be able to access it at all, or hopefully even know of its existence, right? So that cybersecurity is now an imperative. Yeah, it better be. I really hope so. All right. So maybe not quite as tongue-in-cheek as we were hoping. Um, it is a valid point. It, it is an imperative. I hope it's been an imperative for all the health systems that have my business and have my family's business and your business too. Obviously, as a, as a healthcare consumer, you're, you're almost spoiled for choice with all the places that you can receive care. And then uh, trying to pivot here a little bit, there was another session that was titled Trying to Disrupt the Status Quo for EHRs. And we have talked at length about that and all of the shortcomings that EHRs are and will be for physicians unless somebody does something. And obviously, DocBuddy is somebody doing something. We're doing something big for providers in their workflow. We're removing the tether uh, from their computers, from their desktop mice or mouses. How would you say that? Um, we obviously give providers back more time for life by giving them a documentation tool that is effective, fast, and integrated with their EHR or with their surgery center platform or you name it. Uh, but Holly Urban, VP of Clinical Product Design at Clinicomp, was asked, what is the primary message that your company is trying to get through to the healthcare provider organization, health IT leaders on the exhibit floor at HIMSS? Well, her response was, our primary message is that it's time to disrupt the status quo for EHRs. It's time for meaningful change in how users, especially cl clinicians, interact with EHRs to reduce the burden EHRs have caused. At the heart of an innovative EHR needs to be a human-centered design, resulting in systems that are patient-centric, workflow-oriented, user-aware, and intuitive to use. That is an incredibly tall order to fulfill. When you look at the reason that EHRs exist uh, at the scale that they do in the first place, 
Um, it's not because there weren't options prior to the High Tech Act. You know, you think way back in time on that health IT timeline, Eclipsis, Mysis, among many others that have existed for um, the entirety of health IT as, as a thought, as a concept, you know, there were options for providers before meaningful use was enacted. And that's obviously stemming from the ARRA 2009, which included the High Tech Act. It's not that providers didn't have a choice to go electronic prior to that, but with the advent of meaningful use, they were then forced to. Unless you are not treating a Medicare patient population, if you are exempt from any quality measures, or if you just don't care about what has become the, uh, the macromips penalty for um, non-compliant use, for lack of a better term, you have got to be capturing a slew of information in your EHR. And unfortunately, this stems right back to burnout, like we've said a hundred times before, because so much patient information needs to be collected. And when you think about software design, UX, uh, user experience, that is, What's a good way to collect all these 25, 50, 75, 100 different data points um, in a way that doesn't bog down a workflow? Well, yeah, you can have your MA, you can have your scribe uh, be jotting all this information down into your EHR, but ultimately you end up with a cascade of windows, a cascade of pick lists, a waterfall of different fields that have to be populated so that you can hit those, hit those first what were meaningful use metrics, and now the macro MIPS metrics or various other quality reporting initiatives in which you're participating. And by the way, we're going to hold aside the Medicaid. This is going to bring you guys way back. The Medicaid adopt, use, or implement a certified EHR. Obviously, that's a little bit different beast. Um, now subject to different, uh, different quality metrics than just simply buying or owning a certified EHR technology. But from my vantage point, you're going to be left with something that is maybe a little bit more slick to use. Maybe it runs off of an iPad instead of a desktop, which is helpful, undoubtedly so. But unless you're really solving the physician workflow, and right now physicians are unhappy and they, you know, they have a right to be, that they are simply a data generator. They're spending less time treating patients. And this is straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, this is how providers feel. This isn't Eric imposing an opinion on the state of physician workflow to you. They feel like they're spending less time with patients than ever before. Every year that passes, they're spending less. They're more burned out. They're less happy with their job. Uh, but you really need to address physician workflow, like with what we're doing at DocBuddy. No matter how slick an EHR UI is, no matter how slick the flows that are built into that EHR will be, if you're not addressing what the physician actually does, you're still burning them out. They are so much more than data collectors, data aggregators, data generators. And I just think it's a tall order because a certified EHR has to check all of the boxes and all of the guidelines that CMS lays out for what constitutes a certified software. You then have to prove that you're certified via testing. So all that to say with the amount of data that you have to collect to participate in these quality programs like macro MIPS, you're stuck with what ends up being just a beast of a tool, a beast of a software. And there's some good ones and there's some bad ones. Some are much better than others, obviously. But even the best EHR is something that a physician doesn't want to use, doesn't feel like they should have to use. 
and is instead being made to buy them, being made to use them, or you get less reimbursement. It's a brutal cycle. We're not going to go into depth on this um, on this headline or on this hymns topic, this hymns session, but it did catch my eye. You know, we've talked at nauseum maybe about physician burnout. What about patient burnout? Patient burnout is a silent public health crisis. According to Grace Cordovano, patient advocate and CEO of Enlightening Results. And this is, uh, this is very interesting. She is on the record as saying that the manual outdated workflows for patients, the paper on clipboards, the fax machines, the scanners, the CDs, the phone calls, and trying to navigate the menus that have 10 different variations only to land in a voicemail box that's never returned. Getting put on hold for 45 minutes, two hours, three hours to get a call back when you can't talk because you don't have privacy in your workspace. All of these things are barriers to care the people that you serve need. Salient points. It is frustrating to be a medical services consumer in 2023, and it doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. We've talked about physician burnout causing early retirement and and keeping people out of the profession. We know there's a looming shortage of physicians that's right around the corner. We're, We're talking in the next several years. We're not talking in a decade. We're talking 2025, 2026. So what happens to the health of the U.S. population if only those that can receive care are those willing to navigate all the complexities in getting it and then being able to wait long enough to actually receive care? I'll, uh, I'll share a personal anecdote. It's, uh, I waited a little long to get an annual physical booked for the year. And thankfully, that's just about all the healthcare I have to get. Uh, you know, and what a blessing for that. Made the call in March, and I usually get my physical done in the first quarter of the year. And I'm, I'm based in Miami, Florida, too. I think that's probably an important point. I'm waiting until the end of August. That's the earliest availability. And then finally, just as a point of interest, I mentioned um, precision medicine in an earlier uh, talk about chat GPT potentially. Uh, doing you the wrong way with a medicine that does not work for your for your genomic sequencing. Everybody's a little bit different, right? And we can now map that out using genomics and using precision medicine, uh, which is the term that means to get people uh, prescriptions and drugs that jive exactly with their own genome so that they're the most effective. But HIMS hosted a panel on how health systems must consider physician workflow for precision medicine programs. And this outlined, um, the session really outlined that genomic information must be accessible and easily interpretable in the provider's EHR. And Jackie Rice, VP of Information Technology and CIO at Frederick Health shared, we really believe that 10 years from now, people are going to say, you actually took care of people and you didn't do their genetic testing. We're going to do lab testing, imaging, and your genetic testing. We're going to treat you for what you really need to be treated for and find the right medication quicker and the right diagnosis quicker so you can get that treatment quicker. So it's all about speed, as with anything, when you're, when you're taking care of patients to achieve the most optimal outcome, you got to do it fast, right? And precision medicine is a great way to do that. Uh, flashing back to my days as an EHR guy with a Prima, we had a fantastic precision medicine partner where 
the results of a patient's genetic testing uh, were available within the Aprima EHR. That made it much less daunting for your primary care type providers uh, to be able to make a, a decision on that data and have some clinical decision support around that data. Um, and the reason that I say that is that you're, you know, unless you're in a specialty where genomics really play an important role, like something like oncology or OBGYN, where you're, where you're in it, where you're considering genetic information for your patients, or in the case of the OBGYN, um, for the mom and baby's genetic information, you're just, you're not really having to deal with that. Um, and I'm, I'm not seeing that personally that uh, I haven't been asked to run my genome, you know, I don't think ever. And I'd be curious to hear if you have too. Uh, but giving providers that extra tool in their toolbox right there in their EHR, that makes the most sense. Um, and I think that addresses workflow in general as well. If there's something that you need in the EHR, you know, that big, robust software that contains all the information that you would ever need, um, if you have to go to one more window, you're in your EHR, you got to open up your Chrome browser. If you're a Mac person, your Safari. If you're a, a Microsoft guy or gal, you know, pop open your Edge, <laughs> which I think you're probably using Chrome if you're, uh, if you're on a Windows machine anyway. Uh, but you have to consider the workflow to get the best possible outcome because one more step, one more place to go for information um, isn't, a, a, isn't really a meaningful way to get anything done. Just not. So there you have it. There's the top three or four headlines coming out of HIMSS 23. Obviously, AI and ChatGPT in particular dominated the, the airwaves and the sessions. And from what I understand, the chatter on the show floor. Obviously, cybersecurity, always worth mentioning, always worth talking about. EHRs, still the biggest pain point in the industry. Precision medicine, very cool. Patient burnout being a silent public health crisis and the implications for patients as we uh, go into a world where we're looking at or will be looking at an outright shortage of physicians. And I'll, I'll wrap up with just a moment of levity here. Uh, so like I said, we're recording this episode on Thursday the 27th. I got an email from Medscape and I love Medscape. Great spot to get all kinds of uh, medical information and healthcare information, and it's a monster. That's actually one of the uh, most lucrative medical websites out there. Their founder is, has done very well uh, by creating Medscape and continuing to grow it. But got a, got a headline in the mail Wednesday night, and if you're subscribed to Medscape, I bet you did too. The Trending Now article is labeled, How Safe is the Blackout Rage Gallon Drinking Trend? And this is way off topic for the Doc Buddy Journal, but I'm still kind of getting a kick out of it just reading it to you here right now. If you're not familiar with the Blackout Rage Gallon, uh, this is where primarily college students will pour out some amount of a gallon of water, add their alcohol of choice, their flavoring of choice, potentially even adding stimulants like caffeine um, or others to them, and essentially having a huge drinking night undoubtedly unsafe. So how safe is the blackout rage gallon drinking trend? It's not safe at all. And there's a serious issue in the U.S., uh, particularly with our, our young folks, with binge drinking. This appears to be a way, This the rage gallon appears to be a way that you ensure you're having a binge drinking episode. 
But what a silly headline. I don't know, maybe it's just me. You can rate me in the comments on this one if I'm off base. But how, how safe is drinking a gallon of, of liquor mixed with stimulants? Not at all. <laughs> Why is that even a discussion? I certainly don't mean to make light of the, uh, the underlying issue here, the underlying causes and effects. That's not funny. Uh, but that headline was a little silly. So let's, let's tie it up. Let's wrap this one up. <clears throat> Keep in mind, as usual, that if you're a provider and you haven't already seen how Doc Buddy removes the pain and cost from your legacy, outdated your paper workflows, did you know you can get a free 15-day trial of Doc Buddy? All you have to do is go to docbuddy.com, fill out the form on our Contact Us page. We just set up. It takes all of about 10 minutes to get you trained on DocBuddy, so vastly different for my EHR users out there. We're not talking days or hours, we're talking minutes. To get you up and running on DocBuddy, you get to experience a fully featured trial uh, for longer than two weeks. We know you're going to love it. We hope to see you soon. And on behalf of the entire DocBuddy team, I'm your host, Eric. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Take care.